Hi, everyone. This is Headcase. I'm Stephanie, and I'm here with Helena Bala. She is the founder of Craigslist Confessional, and she's a Juris Doctor, which also I will let you explain what that is. <laughs> okay. It's just basically a fancy word for a lawyer. It's a degree for— Okay, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So Craigslist Confessional, What can you just tell me what it is and why you started it so everyone knows because it's so cool, but— I want yeah. everyone to hear. So I started Craigslist Confessional in 2014. Okay. So we're rounding up on five years now. And um, I was living in D.C. I was working um, initially on the Hill and then went around the revolving door and became a lobbyist. So I had a lobbying gig there and had been working there for a while. And I really wasn't a big fan of what I was doing mm-hmm. and kind of was getting stuck in that like daily ennui of like, what am I, is this what I'm meant to be doing? Is this fulfilling? Um, and I don't know if you've been to DC or, or not, but yes. there's a lot of homeless people there. And so many. It's actually really sad because there's, I mean, you know, the white house, which is grandiose and beautiful. Right. And there's all of these beautiful buildings. It's so historic. And then you're walking down the street and there's just, homeless people everywhere mm-hmm. um and so i don't want to get into it too much right now but I, I met one of these homeless people and he really left an impression on me because we had this really amazing conversation where we bonded and clicked um and i kind of told him a bunch of stuff that i probably wouldn't have told anybody else really? at that point yeah it was like you know secret time yeah you know, telling him about how i just didn't feel um kind of had a bit of an imposter syndrome you know like didn't yeah. feel like I was happy where I was and totally. um or or deserving of it or doing what I was meant to be doing and so we had this really deep conversation where we connected and it kind of gave me the idea of maybe I should do this with other people and see what comes of it you know what comes out what people need right. to confess and maybe what I need to confess in 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 the meantime And the terminology of confession, I I know it's like super religious. It has a religious connotation. I went to Catholic school, so I can't really get away from that. (laughs) um, Back to the roots. (laughs) Right, exactly. But it is kind of like a confession, you know, because it's the one-time thing. You don't really see the people more than once. And then like ripping off the Band-Aid, I like to say. But um, I posted – see, I was – Craigslist was having a moment, right? Mm-hmm. It was like really big, especially in DC. And I'd like sell and buy furniture because I was a poor student, so that's all I could afford. Right. And so I was like, "Where, where do I do this?" I'm like, "Oh, Craigslist Personals." So I went and I posted this ad on the personal section. Just basically, the subject was, "Tell me about yourself." And wow. and yeah, and I just said, you know, hey, I'm willing to do this to meet you in person. I'll buy you a cup of coffee and I'll listen to anything that you want to talk about. You know, anything that you need to get off your chest that you haven't told anybody else about or like any secrets you have or maybe not even secrets, just something that's bothering you today. Yeah. Um, and, and so I posted it. And I really didn't have very high hopes. I wasn't like, oh, this is going to be a thing. You know, I was like, oh, maybe a couple of weirdos will respond. You know, maybe I'll get a couple of dick pics or something like that. (laughs) Because, you know, it's Craigslist. Yeah. Um, And but it wasn't like that at all. It was actually really like a happy surprise because a lot of people to like that first ad that I posted just responded with like, you know, this is either this is great that you're doing this or, hey, I want to talk about blank. Right. Um, so I responded to a couple of the messages and I was like, OK, you know, let's meet in person. Um, and I was 25, 26 when I started doing this, mm-hmm. 25. So I was a bit stupid. You know, the stupidity that yeah. comes with 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 young age, you know, you you're, you don't think anything can ever get to you. Right. You know, and so it's like, yeah, what's wrong with meeting somebody off of Craigslist right. you know, and having a coffee with them? That's my question is how did you not know that they were complete? serial killers that there could be right right and i totally had watched that lifetime movie yeah so i you know it just didn't occur to me i was like you know i'll do it in broad daylight you know at a starbucks it's you know a lot of people around so it'll be okay yeah and so five years later you know still kind of doing it and no crazy stories to tell of no stalkers no almost uh murderers Amazing. But yeah, it's been it's been a hell of a ride. So did anyone reach out to you from the ad and ask what exactly you meant by by just tell me what you yeah, there's, tell me your secret. There's or? always like a process of clarification where somebody's like because it's a strange 
ad. Yeah. <laughs> so you read something like that, and you're like, well, what do you mean? I mean, right. uh, what are the par- parameters here? And so, because I'm sure even they might think, who is this? Right? Who is this person? person? <laughs> Who's this creep? <laughs> right? No, totally. Um, and I was totally aware of that too. Where it's like, this is kind of unusual what yeah. I'm doing here, but I was learning as I went too. So. It really took a few meetings before I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing and this is a thing. Mm-hmm. It took a while for me to realize that I was like sitting on top of a project and it wasn't just like a whim or right. like this idea that I'd had. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it was growing pains of like a few months of meetings and, you know, kind of trying to figure out what worked best. And was I just a listener? Was I – was it more of a conversation? Um and, you know, if people ask questions like, you know, what what are you going to do with these stories? Like initially I wasn't going to do anything with these stories. Yeah. It was just like I'm providing a service basically out of the goodness of my own heart yeah. because I'm in a weird place. Like I'm feeling weird about existence right, right now and I'm sure other people out there are probably feeling weird about existence We all right do now. at some point. Right, <laughs> right. So why not just kind of get together and yeah. talk about how we feel weird about existence, you know, and maybe give each other a bit of – I don't know, a boost or hope. perspective or hope or catharsis or, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever you need at that right. particular moment. Um, but then the more I listened to stories, the more they were kind of falling into categories, you know, where you kind of realize that everybody struggles with the same thing at right. one point or another, whether it's love or loss or, or divorce or lack of acceptance or weird childhood or whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, the feelings underneath all of these storylines are all, we share them, right? We all share grief. We all share, Absolutely. you know, all of, all of the things that underlie these stories. And so once I started realizing that, I was like, okay, I this I need to do something with this because mm-hmm. I was hearing a lot of really really powerful stories yeah. where people were sharing things that to me felt really important. And this was before Me Too movement, before anything kind of because now I think mental health has really taken a front seat and yeah. I'm so glad that it has. Um but when I first started doing this it wasn't popular to be open mm-hmm. with your feelings. And I, I mean, I still don't think it's popular to be yeah. open with your feelings, to be honest with you. Like, no matter how much we try to make it. It wasn't know, like the cool thing. It wasn't the do. cool thing. Yeah. And it's still kind of not the cool thing, at least not raw, you know, not not couched in some sort of message of like, you know, yeah, but everything ended up being fine. Right. You know, sometimes everything doesn't end up being fine. Right. And that's where all of these people end up is, you know, sitting across the table from a stranger you know, that's and so having a cup of coffee and being like, yeah, and everything was really messed up at the end of that. I mean, that's so bold of them. I mean, you're a stranger. Some people have trouble opening up to people who are really close with them, yeah. but also have trouble opening up to strangers. Yeah. You see the struggle people have going to new therapists and things like yeah. that. And you're just a complete stranger. So how was that in the initial meeting? With people sitting down with you, were they really timid or were some just super open right off the bat? Well, to your point that, you know, it's hard to open up to people that we know. I think this is the counterpoint of right. that where it's like it is weird to be sitting across the street, the the table from a stranger. But at the end of the day, like you're never going to see me again. Right. Um, so it's not like I'm going to tell somebody else that we know, you know, about, oh, did you hear about right. Stephanie and what yeah, happened? Yeah, you can't you know? hang it over yeah. their head. There's no anything. gossip. There's nothing. I mean, I'm just, it's just a one-time thing and you have nothing to lose. Yeah. All you have is just, you know, what you want to make of this hour or two hours or however long you want to, you know, sit here and talk. Yeah. Um, so I think that it is easier to tell your secrets to a stranger, especially when it's, you know, when it's couched in the sense of please feel that you are safe here mm-hmm. and that nothing that you say here will be used to hurt you. Right. But the human the human aspect of that is that you're still, like you said, sitting across the table from somebody that you don't know. And yeah. now you're going to tell them something, you know, that you've never told anybody else right. before. Um so it is weird, right? Yeah, There's that initial moment of like, well, where do we start? Yeah. What do I say? How do I It's like a get... first date. Right, exactly. <laughs> how do I get started? How do I know to trust you? you right. Know? How do I know that this is okay and that, you know, you're not some weirdo off of Craigslist? <laughs> um, so I think it's just 
like any initial meeting, just right. like you and I meeting yeah. just now. You try to do the best to kind of set the person at ease and answer any questions that they might have um, and talk them through it. And then usually when people ask, okay, where do I get started? I'll say start chronologically if that's easiest. Yeah. And then once they get started, the problem is how to wrap things up, right? right? Because you find that people have a lot to say. Yeah, you could be sitting there for hours. I I am sitting there <laughs> for hours most times, wow. you know, but it's it's worth it. I mean, see, the thing is a lot of people hear that and they say, wow, I really love to do something like that. Or they'll hear that and they'll say, how? How do you yeah. have the patience to sit there for hours and hours and just listen to somebody? And you're doing this completely for free. For free, yeah. So it's even, di- even more different than yeah. being a paid therapist right sitting there and listening i think sometimes you just have it you know it's like a gift that you have to be able to listen and sometimes you don't sometimes you know the idea of doing something like this just you know drives you crazy yeah but for me i love it it works and i think that you know even though it's not paid it's not something that i do you know to have direct monetary gain Mm -hmm. i think think that had I not done it, I kind of shudder to think like how my life right. would be, you know? You gained a lot in yeah. so many other ways. It's it's really a richness of spirit. Like you I right. it sounds it's like soothing. such a lofty Yeah. Sounds like such a lofty thing to say, but it is really soothing mm-hmm. to kind of hear people's lives because it enriches your own, you know, your understanding of the world Absolutely. and people and humanity, what makes people click, what you know, what makes people sad and happy and you can use those lessons in your own life and you can use those lessons to really give back. Yeah. Um, which is what was lacking in my, you know, my job as a lobbyist. I just wasn't giving back. It right. felt like such Very a bad fit. And yeah. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. And this I is think. just every single day you're dealing with yeah. something new, something different. Um, it's just, I love it. So I think it's genius, honestly. But how, how do you balance that with your life? Right now. I know you just had a baby. Congratulations. Thank you. So how do you balance that? It's really hard. It's really hard. It was hard without a baby. It's close to impossible with a baby. Yeah. Um, And I'll tell you why. I think when you spend your days, your life, listening to people's stories, this isn't always – I feel like with therapy – you know, the number one cause of, of people going to see a therapist is to deal with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to say that there's a – that it becomes routine or yeah. mundane because it doesn't. I mean everybody everybody's story is equally as important. But when you do something like this where you're, you're collating stories from people who like have not had an outlet right. yet – who haven't often seen a therapist or have never told anybody this, you don't really hear very much of the mundane. Mm -hmm. But you do, but not as much. You you encounter more stories of people who are just really looking to get something super traumatic off of their chest. And so when you hear that day after day after day or even week after week, you know, if you try to rarefy it a bit, it becomes emotionally very, very taxing. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's yeah. I could imagine it's super draining for you to, especially as an empath, which yeah. I'm sure you yeah. are, being yeah. doing this job, that it really starts to affect you. It it really does, and I think initially I was on this high of having kind of happened upon this thing and feeling so good about doing something different and doing something that made me feel like I was making an impact in somebody's life that I wanted to do as much of it as possible. And so I was setting up meetings constantly, constantly, like every day. Um, And my my now husband, who saw me through the beginning of this, et cetera, I think he saw it coming, you know, that I was getting really worn down and was trying to tell me and, you know, in a kind way, you need to slow down because this is a lot. It's a lot for anybody, but it's especially a lot for you because you're doing it, you know, far too much. Right. Um, And so there was a period of time there where I got really overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with how much was wrong and I started to lose sight of how much was right and beautiful with the world yeah um and i became really kind of dragged down into it 
yeah. and, and, and was really not balanced at all. Um, and as a listener, that had an impact as well because mm-hmm. you don't want that energy to be what you're portraying to somebody. You, you want, want to be a positive yeah, energy exactly, for them. Yeah. Exactly. So I had to take a step back and I think that was the right thing to do. But then when I had my son – There's something about motherhood that makes you, I mean, you're just completely raw to the world. You're Mm -hmm. afraid of everything, you know, because you're not afraid on your own behalf. You're afraid for your kid now, you know. Raise a living thing. (laughs) Exactly. He's tiny and helpless and needs you to protect him at all costs. And so you feel so responsible and so afraid that something might happen. And when you know how much could go wrong when you've just spent like five years listening Listening to how much could go wrong. The, the possibility of going back to being a listener, especially right after I had Ronan was so scary to me because it was too close for comfort. You know, I was just, I was afraid for him. I was afraid that that would implant in my brain somehow. And I wouldn't be able, be able to talk myself out of the fact that yes there's a lot of sorrow in the world and yes bad things yeah. happen to people every day but you can't you can't live, live in, fear yeah, in fear like that. that yeah and I, I was afraid that that's exactly what would happen right and so I had to again take a step back and kind of make sure that I was balancing out and you know strong enough to be the listener because right. you do need to have a lot of self-knowledge you and have inner to learn strength to cut, yeah cut it off at yeah. a point and Remember that you're you have your own life too, right. and that you're your own person. Yeah, but when you're an empath, yeah. you know that it's so hard to do right. that because really your your initial inclination is to want to help, and is to want to be there and, and fix it. Right. Yeah, and when you can't, you know, when I mean, at least fix it by listening, by being there. And when you physically can't because you're tired because you've just given birth, or when you mentally can't because you're overwhelmed because you've just given birth, right. it's hard to draw that line and say, you know what, maybe this is not the best time to do it. But I had to. So, so do people ever ask your advice on what to do about something? Yeah. So I don't, I don't give advice. And that's something that I say to everybody that I I, sit, I think that's good. Yeah, that would sit. that would be tough after a while. And then there's that idea of like, you know, what do I know? Right, <laughs> and you just don't want to be responsible yeah. for someone else's trauma to make it worse suddenly, just because it's like you don't know. Exactly. You don't, you, if you hadn't been through that, you don't really know what advice to give. Exactly. Exactly. So I not not necessarily because of the fear of wanting to not wanting to take over somebody's, you know, life and be responsible for it, but mostly because, like you said, like unless you've really walked two moons in somebody's right. moccasins, there's just there's just no way, yeah. you know? And if somebody asks for my advice and says, you know, well, what about this? Like, how would I do this? How would I go about doing that? You know, I'll tell them, listen, I don't know anything. You know, I'm a stranger off the street. But yeah. I've listened to your story for the past two hours. This is what I'm hearing. And we can make a conversation out of that, right? I can be your friend and tell you what I'm hearing and what right. you're telling sort me. Sort of we reflect talk about it back it. onto yeah. them. Yeah, but I can't. I can't in good conscience say, you know, yes or no, or you should do this or that. Right. Um, so my main role is to just be a listener. Okay. And it sounds really simple. And I myself questioned, is that enough to just listen to people's stories? Um, and I think it is. I think, I think it's it enough. Is. And I think it's probably harder to just listen and not yeah. give your feedback. And because I'm sure if you hear some horrific story, yeah. you're going to be – instantly inclined to jump down the throat of like whoever hurt the person or anything like that and i can imagine that's really hard yeah it it is and there are many situations in which you know i felt inclined to want to pursue that more to want to see it through to want to befriend that person you know not take them under my wing so to speak but to i don't know just i don't provide them just feathers and and, and cotton yeah. and just kind of you know hug them yeah. with it and just be like you're gonna be okay right. you know there's that always that inclination of like you it's fine you know you you'll see yourself out of this but you have to kind of at one point detach yeah. because I find that it becomes less effective if you then meddle even more right. and, you know whereas if you just provide provide this 
place where somebody can tell you their narrative. And just the act of telling story, right, of storytelling, of telling one story, I think gives it it forces the idea of having to have a beginning, a middle, a conclusion. Right. And just the idea of having to conclude that somehow makes people think about, okay, so what do I want to do with this story that I've yeah. just told? You know, do I and want to be And often people sad... just don't do that. Like yeah. you don't just sit and tell someone, especially you know, your life story. And you don't sit there alone and talk to the wall yeah. and tell the wall your life story either. Exactly. So that's – I could see that's really therapeutic for – anyone just talking it out is really amazing and yeah. sometimes like this is weird but when i'm with ronan and we're just going about our day i'll just narrate i'll narrate our day because yeah. it helps me organize my thoughts it helps me organize that's great my life yeah and there's such a power to that especially when it comes to anything that has to do with trauma or anything that is difficult to talk about or anything that's just like an icky part that you don't really want to touch. Yeah. It helps to kind of go in there and and organize your thoughts about it, organize the timeline and and try to force yourself to think, okay, so now what do I want to do with right all of this? So after you had Ronan, you went through a sort of a would you say it was like a postnatal depression? Yeah. Which many people go through and don't really talk about either and yeah. that's it's there's must be such a stigma about that. Like we were saying, yeah. most moms act like, you know, the, fine. everything's fine. Yeah. This is the best thing ever and almost feel guilty for being sad or depressed or whatever it is. Yeah. And a lot of it can probably have to do with hormones and Absolutely. all of that. But in your case, it's almost more unique because you had this whole thing going on while having a baby. Yeah. So – I think that there's definitely been times in my life where I've felt so vulnerable, mm -hmm. uh, whether it just had, you know, something situational with work or with school or with whatever relationship I might have been in at the time. Just yeah. the daily kind of issues that we right. all encounter at some point. And you feel very raw. You know, you feel like, oh, my gosh, what? Am, how am I going to get out of this? Motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> Pales in comparison wow. to anything that I have ever dealt with in that I had Ronan and then he was jaundiced. Okay. So I didn't know that this was something that was relatively common. And so I thought that there was something terribly wrong with my baby. Right. And I got really, really wrapped up in that idea of, oh, my goodness, like, will he be okay? Will and my baby be okay? The guilt is on you. Like, Absolutely. I did this. I did this, yeah. right? So I've done something to him. Um, and he's not perfect, you know, perfect little bundles of joy that come into this world, you know, this whatever that you're fed by narratives that you're fed by other moms that are also right. feeling like they need to you know, kind of be part of this, everything was great, everything was wonderful right, right, right. story that we tell each other. Um, and so my everything was not great and it was not wonderful. Um, and I got really, really panicked and, and um, my anxiety kicked in to high level. And I lived in that state of high anxiety for, I'm not kidding you, four months. Wow. Where I was looking at him under a microscope every single second of the day and trying to tell if there was something wrong with him. Was he moving okay? Did his color look okay? Um, was he following things with his eyes? Has he smiled at me? Is he babbling? Right. All of these things. To see these if he's at the standard yeah. of other babies right. his age and right. everything. Because I'd gotten so scared from that initial trauma that yeah. I couldn't let myself calm down because I felt like I needed to man my post, right. woman my post, and make sure that everything was okay with my baby and right. we're not missing anything. I'm sure the second baby you'll be like, oh, gosh. she's good or he's good. Gosh, I hope. <laughs> I'm just not even thinking about that yeah. because the first time around it was so difficult yeah. that I, you know, it's it's scary to think of doing it again. Right. But I'm sure, but it's super common. Yeah. Like you said, it's, I think a lot of mothers go through that and suffer from it suddenly you just don't know what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. And you just didn't you 
you have this idea, okay, I'm going to be a mom and I have, I'm having a baby. And then you have, and, no and then you have you the baby and you're just totally. Yeah. I didn't know how to rocked. hold him. I didn't even know yeah. how to hold him. And so, I mean, listen, it was the postpartum anxiety that spiraled into postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. And I had to seek therapy, which I did, um, which really helped. And then I kind of, once I got myself out of it a little bit, mm-hmm. relatively got myself out of it a little bit. Um, I started thinking, okay, so what can I do to make this part of my story and to help other people who might be going through something similar? Um, And so I'm not kidding you. Every time somebody would ask me, how is it being a new mom? Are you having the best time? I'd be like, no, I hate it. Oh, my God. It's terrible. (laughs) I'm scared all the time. Yeah. And honestly, given the chance to do it again, I probably would not. Yeah. So – I, I want That's honest though. That's yeah. amazing. And I want people to temper their expectations because nobody tells you how truly terrible it is and right. how terrifying it is initially. Yeah. And there's no right way to do it. No. Either. No, there really isn't. And so that's great. I think we need more honesty like oh, that. Yeah. Especially in motherhood and having kids, because you just you just see so much of the other side of it and yeah. none of the other, the bad side. And I mean, with the advent of Instagram, like nobody's going to show you the time your baby, you know, diarrheaed on you five right. times the same day. <laughs> yeah. They're going to show you all the wonderful right. things that happen. And so everybody Yeah. And that's part of the problem in, in a greater scheme, right? If you just try to look at the macro idea of what Instagram and social media does in general is that it makes everybody feel like – the narrative is generally a happy one. Absolutely. And that doesn't fit into our reality. Right. And so what happens is this disconnect between why is my life not like what I'm seeing online and is there something wrong with me because it isn't. Absolutely. And the same thing happens with motherhood. You know, yeah. you see all of these perfectly peachy pictures of babies with these cute little headbands and you're like, oh, this is so great. And then you look at your own kid and he's just spit up on his yeah. <laughs> on his little chin and he looks a mess and you're like, oh, gosh, what, am I yeah. doing the right thing here? What's happening? Right. Um, so, I mean, I think we need to maybe change the narrative a little bit Absolutely. And, and be a little bit more honest about what it's actually like. So how have you presented that to people? I mean, is it just people you know or have you kind of made the initiative to talk about this more openly with your platform? I mean, I'm doing it now, but I haven't. It's just been with people that I know. I yeah. haven't really had a chance to kind of get out of it enough to have yeah. perspective enough to kind of you know, sit back and be like, okay, this is how I'm going to to look at this part of my right. life. All I know is that it was super scary and that it traumatized me. Yeah, I mean, for life. people <laughs> judge everyone so much as it is. We don't need mothers judging other mothers on yeah. top of it. And of course, you love your son, but yeah. being a mom is the hardest thing ever. It really is, and it's so different even from being a father because it's this direct. <laughs> connection that yeah. you have and they want their mo- babies want their moms uh, you're the like the physically connected yeah to, literally <laughs> to the kid. connected yeah. <laughs> so it's just i mean it really is unlike unlike anything that i've ever experienced before and i think that initially when i thought about okay what's this going to be like i was like oh you know I'll, it'll be fine it'll be pretty it'll be just like i've seen right <laughs> in movies and online and then it's not and again it's it's just it's a reality check it's I a know. reality yeah. check but it serves me in in my work and what I do because really every new experience that you have, it's different to experience something through hearing about what happened to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean there's – you could be an empath. You could be the best listener in the world. But unless there's something that you've gone through that matches, unless your wounds have similar shapes, right. you can't really, really – you know what I mean? Yeah, really absolutely. understand it. Um there's still a little bit of a distance there. You know, you can't feel the pain as acutely. Um, and I think motherhood has added a dimension to how I see the world. You know, mm-hmm. I understand now what it really means to feel helpless. Yeah. I understand now what it really means to love somebody so much that you literally not think twice about giving up your own life to save them. Wow. It's just it, – it, it And how changes. someone would feel if they lost yeah. – Oh, 
a, a the child or fear anything. of even thinking about something like yeah. that like can keep you up at night it's just wow. it's it's a whole different you imagine your brain being the size of i don't know like a football and then the experience of motherhood just blows that up yeah you know? it, like it really just it's like suffusing it with so much air and you just right. feel suddenly like you understand and you see things so differently so yeah. more, so much more clearly now and so that bleeds on to the stories and to how i approach you know listening now as a mom it's very different and it, it feels more feels more raw it feels scarier it feels like i have so much more invested now yeah. um so much more invested in the world, period. Like in right. people in general being happy, healthy, good, being of good mental health. So much more invested because now my son's in this world. Yeah. Now he's a part of it. And I want it to be a good one for him. Right. You know? So it's just now it's my responsibility to kind of hold his hand and, and, and walk him through it, but also to make it a good and safe place for him. Right. So it sounds like he is really a big catalyst for your project moving forward and how it's going to progress and change. Yeah. And it sounds like it it was meant to be that way too. It was, it was meant to go into this direction of, I mean, you're going to go through so many experiences with him as he grows up anyway. And if you continue the project, it's going to continue to unfold into this own, its own thing. You know, I always, thought about this as like okay this ends with me really um you know i'm the person who's doing this and and maybe i touch one person's life in a positive way and that's amazing and that in itself i'm good i'm yeah. done right right that's that's great but then ronan came along and it's now i'm thinking about okay it's not really just about me it's yeah. more about now, how can I portray what I'm doing to him and how can I teach him to take the good parts of this experience and use it in his own life? I mean, yeah. it really is such a strange, like, right. you're already thinking as, like, a teacher, somebody that can, like, lead somebody Absolutely. along the way of life. And it's it's, it's transformative. But um, when do you, I— Do you find yourself ever wanting to confess these things to people that you're sitting across from? Like, you're a listener, but do you ever feel— the need to confess anything yourself. Totally. I mean, how strange would it be if you're just kind of sitting there and like listening to people's stories yeah. and you're just like, mm-hmm, you know, blank yeah. look on your face, just not saying right. much. You know, I, I obviously want people to feel comfortable in sharing with me. And part of that is putting some of my own skin on the line, mm-hmm. you know, giving a little bit of myself. Yeah. And that doesn't mean taking the spotlight away from them because it's always, I mean, it's always their they're the priority. Right. They're the reason we're sitting here. Their moment. Right. It's their moment. So you, I don't want to sit there and, you know, start talking about, well, this happened to me too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, me too. You know, it's more important to just kind of like let them take precedence. But I find that if there's ever a lull where the person seems to be unsure about, you know, going on or what have you, you know, it's, I always share parts of myself. I think it's important to be honest. And if you understand it because something similar happened to you, there's nothing wrong in saying, you know what? Yeah, I had like a similar experience and I felt exactly the same as you did. And and there's nothing wrong with feeling that way or, you know, something like that. Um, Because I think the number one fear of doing something like this as the storyteller is the fear of being judged. What if right. that person, you know, you're 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 halfway through saying something and their facial expression changes and all of a sudden they seem more distant? Is it because of something you said? Is it because, you know, you've you've said something wrong or right. has has you imparting your story made them like you less? Yeah. Um and I don't want that to be part of a storytelling experience at all. You know, if there's then it's something that I've done wrong, you know, because Right. And in that whole realm of being judge, judged or judgmental, how do you go through that listening to a story say that's that's something you normally would hear and be super judgmental about and then you have to i mean you are a lawyer so yeah. that's good practice anyway to yeah. be like impartial and, yeah. and look at it as it is but how do you handle that if you hear something super dark like someone yeah. confesses something they did that was really messed up and yeah. you just 
you have to sit there and act like it's totally fine. Well, so that has happened. That has happened a few times. Mm-hmm. And um, it's always hard. But the first time it happened, actually, my, my introduction to feeling this way was was really, really dark. It was a dad who shared that he had um, molested his daughters oh after their God. mother had passed away. Yeah. So this was um, thankfully on the phone. And when something like that happens, it gives you more physical distance right. from it. So you kind of can scramble you a little bit. You don't have to look someone in the eyes. Exactly. You can catch your composure a little bit and mm-hmm. think about, well, okay, do I want to keep listening? And what's the utility of keeping listening? And I did. I kept listening. And I, and, um, I wanted to, again, here's the empath trying to float in and make things better. So I said, okay, you know, do you think your daughters would be open? Because he maintained the whole time that they were uh, an active part of this and a willing part of the sexual relationship that he had with them. Um, impossible. They were minors. So right. not not at all the case. But um, I think he needed to tell himself and that because he was their bored. dad. Yeah, so right. Also, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but this was just he was so far removed from right. how wrong the situation was that he was trying to, you know, use logic to explain why it was okay. Right. He's trying to justify um, right, it. Right, to completely justify the situation. And so, of course, you know, nobody would ever buy that, nor right. was I. But I'm sitting there thinking, well, so how what, – what can I do? And so I said, okay, well, you know, if your daughter's – were okay with this, then would you be open to me talking to them so I can get their perspective and maybe they'd want to share their perspective of this? And he said, kind of paused a little bit and was like, well, let me check with them and see and I'll get back to you. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, you know, he'll in never, my head, I was he'll like, never, just never call happen. back. Of course not. Um, but I'm thinking and thinking and thinking. And as he's telling me the story, I'm like, what do I do? Like, do I keep listening? Do I say, you know what? I just like, I can't. What is the utility of this? Why am I doing this? And that brings me to – I think we touched on this initially. But when I first started doing this, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with the stories. Mm -hmm. I didn't – I wasn't sure I was going to do anything with them at all. Um, But then because they kept coming in, I thought I need to pay this forward somehow. Right. These lessons, these stories I'm hearing, these people kind of really putting their hearts out out there and telling me their stories – I need to make sure that something comes of this. Right. And I mentioned something, you know, that if you're if your pain is the same shape as somebody else's, I feel like there's twins, there's people out there that have such similar perspectives, such similar lives. And if somebody, if a you from, you know, 10 years from now could tell you, "Hey, I went through that same yeah. thing and and I was okay or I grew from it and and this is how I dealt with it." If you could hear that story, I feel like it would really add a boost to whatever burden you're carrying. Um, And so I thought, you know what? I need to find these story twins. And the only way I know how to do that is to write about – to get permission to write about the stories that people are sharing with me. And hopefully this will reach a wider audience and make sure that there's people out there who are like reading it and understanding that there is life after trauma. There is life after sadness. And it's anonymous. And it's anonymous. Right, right. So I started when I was doing these later meetings started asking for permission to share stories and um 99.9% of the time I got the permission there are some people who just want to share and don't want to be written about and that's mm-hmm. also perfectly fine because the focus always was to on the person right, right on the person and to listen and so when I was listening to this guy I had told him you know do I have your permission to write the story and he said yeah um and so after all that happened he was telling me this I'm like well oh, I can't. Like, how do I write about this? Like, I don't – it's so macabre. It's so dark. It's so – how? You know? And the whole time I kept thinking, but this needs to be out there because people need to know that this is a reality. And people need to know that these are red flags that you can look for. And people need to know that this is what it looks like when there's a father with two daughters that he molests. And maybe being sensitive to that, maybe knowing – that or opening your mind and your heart to to that reality for a little bit can make you a little bit more diligent, more knowledgeable, more sensitive to dealing with people who are possibly going through something similar. And that is so important. And so I I really just white knuckled it through that conversation. I was like, this needs to, this is 
people's reality and this needs to be out there. Um, not as like a glorified, you know, sensational, oh, you know, this is what happens, but as like a real raw account of like how absolutely disconnected from reality one can be right. and still live amongst other human beings as a normal person yeah. and nobody knows and this is to some extent he must have known what he did was wrong or else he wouldn't yeah. have contacted you absolutely. to begin with absolutely so he's trying to justify it yeah. but probably because he's mortified and embarrassed yeah. and and ashamed of himself in he some capacity. He needed me to normalize it for him. Right. He needed for, for me to say, this is okay, what you've done. Right. Or to just have that other person on the other end of the line not... React like you're a monster. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He needed that. And and to a certain extent, I mean, I didn't react like you're a monster. Right. So maybe he did get what he wanted after all. But we also got what we wanted, which right. is we, we got a, an inside look at these situations which are you know which actually yeah. happen to people to real people every day and people carry these burdens around right not just him as a perpetrator but victims his right. daughters as victims carry these burdens and it's it's baffling that it happened because it's after his wife passed yeah she passed away from cancer and so in the in a couple of years after that and there's a whole there's like a whole thing within that of there's a vacuum. his own struggling mm-hmm. yeah. and whatever he needed yeah. to do to cope it was what he did and that's it was a very it was very complex it was a very complex story and there's it's so tempting to say this is an absolutely bad person right. and no 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 we should not have people like him but we don't live in that world right our reality is like so much more multi-dimensional right. and i think rather than shunning these stories and shunning these people and saying no you don't deserve to be a human that lives amongst us we should learn from them and see if there's anything that we can do with with this knowledge to, to help avoid. people and to avoid it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because there is probably trauma underneath his own story as well. And there's totally. trauma now in his daughters. It's just it really all goes back to things that as people we don't deal with, as a society we don't deal with. We shunt to dark little corners of, right. of the room and we don't look at them very often. And when that happens, things fester. Yeah. They really do. And so the best thing you can do is to air these things out, to put a spotlight on them, to talk about them, to get you know learn from them. Yeah. And hopefully that will make it so that if we do have to deal with this in the future, we're just a bit wiser about right. navigating it. And you have to be – Almost a little sympathetic to people, no matter what they these bad things people do. As easy as it is to write someone off, mm-hmm. and but it's almost like you have to be a little bit sympathetic because they were once just little babies too, yeah. and then all of these things happen and influence their life that put them in this whatever position that they felt they had to either do something to harm a loved one or kill someone or whatever it is. And you almost have to take into account that, okay, there's something wrong here. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy just to write someone off and and say, you're a bad person. You should be in jail forever. All of these things. But you're right. You really should look for the signs in order to avoid that and get those people the help that they need. Because that's clearly what it is. And especially if he's coming to you, he's crying out for help in some sort of way. I mean, listen, I don't think I've ever met anybody or heard anyone's story that through the course of that conversation alone, I have not been able or we have not been able to pinpoint whatever was happening to something that had happened to them as well as a child or or something. I mean, there's always – there's always a – a root right to whatever somebody deals with as an adult and most often that root is found in childhood absolutely um and i think that being aware of that i mean i've heard a lot i hear a lot of stories about addiction yeah. right and so absolutely almost 100% of the people who have shared with me a story about addiction have said you know this ran in my family my parents were addicts or somebody i knew you know that was very close to us was an addict yeah and when you hear that, that's almost like, okay, we're seeing a pattern here, right? There's obviously 
cause and effect that's Absolutely. happening. And sometimes because there's nobody really sitting, you know, taking down every word of what happens in somebody's life, it's really hard to connect those dots and say, oh, A leads to B. Right. Even for the person who's going through it. Right. Right. Because it's not – there's so much white noise in life. It's right. not ever A to B. And so people don't ever have a chance to tune down the white noise to see the clarity. Right. Absolutely. There's is, no set diagnosis for why someone is the way they are did what they did or right. what path they go down. Absolutely. And sometimes when you just dial down the white noise and have a chance to kind of tell that story and say, hey, so this is, you know, so a lot of conversations, people will be like, oh, oh, shit. Yeah. So that's why. It's like a bit of a eureka moment right. where they have just never seen that. Right. They've but never laid out their right. narrative before. So yeah. They and that ha- actually happens to me all the time where I'll hear something that somebody says and they'll say it a particular way. They'll use a particular word or something. And it just like triggers something yeah. in my brain. I'm like, oh, I'm, I get it. Right. Now. And in therapy, that happens, that happens a lot to me too. like the first time yeah. I went to my therapist. Exactly. Actually, yeah. Well, you hear somebody else say something or you hear or you hear yourself say something for the first time in a particular way and you're like, oh, wow. I didn't I didn't know that that was right. there. Um, but it's so helpful. It's just the act of talking and listening and the back and forth of just the two peers sharing something, sharing a story yeah. that is so cathartic to people and really clarifies a lot right and we have the human brain is so complex as it is we don't remember everything and especially from childhood there are a lot of things that could have happened that you just bury under and you just don't remember and then Mm -hmm. one day could just wake up and one thing someone says can just trigger that and you're like oh my god i remember when this happened to me and this could be why I'm I'm the way I am in my relationship or whatever yeah. it is. It's really interesting. I mean, the one thing that I always go back to is that you can tell somebody something a million times, the same sentence over and over again, like the wall is red or something right. ridiculous like that. And if they're not looking at the red wall, if they're focused on the white ground, they're just not going to see it. Yeah. They're not going to see that the wall is red. Right. And so you just have to wait until there's – like a an intersection of them being ready to hear it and you saying it enough times where they have that moment where it makes sense. Yeah, and so it my, lands. Right, right it lands. And so my goal in doing these conversations and hearing and listening and, and, and reflecting back when it's necessary or when it's asked of me is to hopefully catch somebody in that moment where they're yeah. ready to look at the red wall and say, oh, I guess it is red, right? Yeah. And it clicks and hopefully something changes from that moment on. Or even if it doesn't, right. you know, so what? You've lost nothing. You've right. had a nice conversation and, you know, maybe something changed in you from that, you know, and hopefully things will get better from there. But at the end of the day, there's really nothing to lose and only a lot only to gain. gain. Yeah. yeah. So do you do most of these conversations in person, would you say? Yeah, so initially when I started doing them in D.C., D.C. is such a small city. Yeah. It really is. And it feels a lot safer than New York because it's it's smaller and yeah. I've been there for almost a decade. And it just – it was – it made sense mm-hmm. to do them in person there. Um, and so I initially they were all in-person meetings. Yeah. And I loved it that way because you see somebody in person and there's texture. You mm-hmm. can see their hair and what their hands look like and what the lines on their faces and what they're wearing. It really informs your sense of this human being right. um, versus just hearing a voice on the other end of the line. Um, so I love that. But then when when Craigslist Confessional became a column um, and when the the audience for it started blowing up, essentially I found that I was getting more people writing in to share their stories just from having read past stories, having right. read the column that I was getting from posting on Craigslist. And then yeah. they got rid of the personal section. So that kind of right. like got rid of that anyways. So I stopped posting the ad and I started mostly just responding to people who wanted to share their stories. Yeah. But that also meant that nobody was really in New York or DC anymore. They were from all over the world. So right. it necessitated that I translate that to, you know, to phone conversations. Yeah. So 
I love that in the sense that now the net is so much wider and we get different experiences, different people from all around the world sharing stories from all around the world. Um, but it also kind of robs it of that, you know, human, I can reach right. out and touch your shoulder and say it's going to be okay type of component. Right. Um, so there's pluses and minuses to everything. Have you had anyone who wants to do this with you? Yeah. And just almost make like a team <laughs> yeah. of confessional yeah. team? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people actually. Yeah. I th- probably, I mean, the second most common besides I want to share my story response is how do I do this? And how do I start one in my community, or how can I team up with you so we can, you know, take this to a bigger level? Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's there's no how to. Right. You just listen. Listen. Yeah. (laughs) Just go out, whatever, if you have a friend or something that needs to hear something or, you know, find find a way to meet strangers who might need it and and go do it. So do you – would you want that? Yeah, absolutely. And would you want to have people on almost a team if you were to grow this to that level where it's – literally a business i mean there's listen there's no trademark to kindness right you can go and be kind and listen anywhere you should go outside yeah go do it go do it now um so i i can't be like no don't do it because i've done it that way and that would be so selfish and terrible to even think that way right um do i want a team of people who do this that is you know trademarked as Craigslist confessional. I don't know. Maybe. What would the utility of that be? I would like other people to get the message of this is how transformative one person listening to stories to people can be and go do that in their own lives. And hopefully that will, you know, create a movement of people just, you know, being kind and being good listeners and, and, seeking to give more than they seek to take from any particular conversation. Um, so that's really the goal of this. And and even if you do read the story and what you get from it is not, okay, I want to be a listener and I want to do this in my own life. Hopefully what you get from it is even when somebody's particulars are so different from yours, right? Even when you're talking, when you're reading a story, you're, you know, I'm a female in my 30s, um, and I read a story from a male in his 50s and there's absolutely nothing in our lives that coincides, I can still understand the feelings that this person has shared and it informs my my idea of being human, my act of being human. Um, It really does kind of like chip away at your understanding of existence and it, it, it multiplies it. Um, it makes it more multidimensional. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that's what these stories will do is that they'll bring to the forefront and force these conversations about things that people go through all the time instead of like delegating them to or relegating them to dark corners of the room right. as I was saying before. And so when the Me Too movement started and we heard so many stories of women that were saying, you know, this happened to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, I had the same experience. And people's reaction was, well, why didn't you come forward then? You know, if this happened 10, 20 right. years ago. It's yeah. like, well, because look at the reception that this is getting. Right. People aren't believed. People are told that they're lying. People are told that they're making something up because they want to be famous right. or, or what have you. Um, and even though maybe that could be the case for one particular person, it's not the general arc. Right. It's not going to – one person yeah. shouldn't discredit exactly. all the others. It's not the general arc of these stories. I mean it is an absolute truth that there – you know, people suffer every right. day from particular – for very different reasons. And in order to understand that better and to accept it better, you don't, you know, tell them to keep it quiet. Right. Because it, you know, doesn't serve – Whoever is in power. Right. Exactly. So. You shouldn't be left to feel humiliated for Absolutely. the benefit of someone else. Absolutely. I mean, it's very similar to what I'm doing on this podcast, even with listening to people's stories. The only difference is they're not so com- confidential. But yeah. um, I really admire that, just listening to people and being able to be a helping hand. So do you ever introduce people that you've met and listened to one story that is sort of similar to another? Oh, my gosh. I think about doing that so yeah. often because you do hear stories. You're like, oh, my gosh, I just heard this yeah. like, two weeks ago. You that should, would be like, you should talk person. to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, yeah. I don't. No, because, you know, it's 
it's anonymous. Right. So I couldn't in good conscience do that. Right. But um, I don't. But I do hear a lot of stories where I feel like, oh, you know, these two people would really hit it off, get along. They could really help each other out or they could help each other see things differently. Yeah, but I, I don't know. So how many have would you say you've listened to? I mean, in the hundreds. I totally lost count. Wow. Yeah. And now, and at first you probably weren't really keeping a record, but now you write about yeah. things, so you have more of a record. Right. What's the worst story you've ever heard, aside so, from maybe that one? That, about the that one. Yeah. yeah, that guy. That's yeah. definitely the worst. I mean, I hear a lot of people who, like, committed crimes, a lot of people, but nothing nothing violent yeah. so far. Um, but uh, that guy was definitely the yeah. worst. Well, I'm assuming if someone tells you they've murdered such and such in such a way that it, they were like, well, it's her obligation to, 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 yeah. to send to this report to the that. police and right. then they'd put the pieces together and right. probably find them. So right. I get that. But um, wow. Yeah. So what's the best story you've ever heard? Um, so I can use his real name because um, we've we've since become friends. But the best story that I've heard was um, Henry. Mm-hmm. And uh, Henry I met in D.C. Um, after Christmas time, I believe in 2015 it might have been. And his wife had just passed away um, uh, from complications due to her alcoholism. She had gotten pneumonia and because her um, her immune system was so weakened, she couldn't fight it off. And so she, she passed away. Um, and so Henry is my dad's age actually. He's 70 – in his 70s, in his early 70s. Um, and we met and he told me this beautiful love story that was his marriage and then the story of loss and mm. and, and how she had just passed away. So he was super, super raw. And I had just started doing this and, and I didn't really know what I was doing yet. And so, um, you know, I, I really felt for him. And because he kind of almost reminds me of my dad in so many ways, yeah. I just I really wanted to keep in touch with him. And I didn't check that impulse. And so I said, hey, you know, if you ever feel that you want to talk again or you just want to keep in touch or what have you, you just you have my email yeah. and you could reach out whenever. And so he took me up on it and we kind of started corresponding yeah. and I'd check up with him, check in on him every once in a while and say, hey, how are you doing? He was kind of in the process of moving to a different city, moving to New Orleans. Um, and so, you know, we created we became kind of pen pals after that yeah. and wrote back and forth and i met with with him before he moved to new orleans and i was still living in dc and so we kind of checked in he was getting rid of stuff from his house you know stuff that he'd kind of accumulated through a lifetime of being with his wife um and and so he told me you know i'm, I'm moving and he brought me i was also moving to new york he brought me this t-shirt that said i love new york Aww. that he'd gotten here after 9-11 oh my god so he's like here you go you know this is going to be a great introduction to this wonderful city and what have you and so he moved to new orleans and and i moved to new york and we didn't lose touch and then one day he's like you know i'm just getting settled here but i'm having a lot of people over you know his his wife's um, sister was visiting as well and mm-hmm. his son was visiting. He's like, I'm really, you know, I have so much space here. So if you ever want to come visit New Orleans, you know, you know somebody here now. And it was like, yeah, sure. And he kind of maybe said it one other time. And I don't know. I was talking to my best friend who's uh, a professor in mathematics at Georgetown. And he has Easter off okay. since Georgetown. And so we were talking about, well, what do we do? You know, maybe we should go and take a trip. And I was like, oh, Henry yeah. has invited me to New Orleans. Why don't I check in on him and see if he has Easter free? And so I did. And he's like, yeah, totally. Come. And so my best friend and I went to New Orleans so and cute. visited him there. And we stayed with him for a week. And I'm telling you, it was the most amazing week. Oh, my god! He is the consummate host. Like, yeah. what a kind, amazing person. Um, and and so we actually went back last year. And this year, I'm going with my best friend, my husband, and Ronan. Oh, my God. That's yeah. amazing. So we're making it a yearly thing where He's we go He's like to, a grandfather yeah, figure now yeah, for, her, for, your, exactly, for your son. Yeah. Exactly. So it's – who knew, right? That this would come out That's of so great. out of this project. But he is such a lovely person, and I literally look forward to April every single That's year. So great! It's our, what a great tradition! Yeah, yeah. So you know, he had such a hard time of it for a really long time there, and he's a really strong and lovely person. Really, really wonderful human being, and 
there's so much gratification in being able to see him be happy again and yeah, like grow do the, and, and grow and and move to a different city and grow in that city. Yeah. And he like has walking clubs with the ladies who live in his building. Oh. Like he goes and walks with them in the morning, which is so I sweet. I love that. I mean, there's just I don't know. I feel like so happy when I right. see how where he is now. I feel really really happy for him. And it's that's hard to do, move to an entire city and Absolutely. You, part of you feels like you are getting rid of the memory of your wife yeah. and that's he struggled with yeah. that. He struggled with that quite a bit. But um, you know, I think he needed that separation. He needed that distance. Yeah. And he needed to kind of have a bit of a fresh start. And the fact that he had a chance at it and then made the best of it in New Orleans is I mean, New Orleans is such a special city, period. Yeah. But beautiful i mean it just yeah. shows that everyone just needs human interaction yeah that's yeah. really great yeah so thank you so much for coming on this oh, has absolutely. been amazing um will you just tell everyone where they can read these stories absolutely so you can read these stories at craigslistconfessional.com and craigslist confessionals also um on quartz.com and on the outline um so it's google it google yeah. craig's confessional is only one and you'll find them amazing yeah well thank you so much thank you